Hello, I'm Dr. Amalia Gondas Malka. Welcome to Womanity Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates women's milestone achievements in their struggle for liberation, self emancipation, human rights, democracy, and much more. Joining us today from Johannesburg, South Africa, is Dr. Suzanne Kotzer, who is a specialist geriatrician and specialist physician in private practice. She is actively involved in the training of doctors and healthcare providers about the needs of older people through lectures and the South African Geriatric Society, of which she currently serves as vice president. Welcome to the show, Dr. Kutzer. Thank you so much, Dr. Malaya, um, for inviting me to be here today. You know, human life expectancy is on the rise in part thanks to healthier lifestyles, hygiene, diet, and obviously improved medical care. And I remember reading, I think just literally a couple of weeks ago, that the oldest known person in the world had just passed on, uh, a French nun who was aged 118. And on your website, you state that your mission is about providing personalized, high-quality care as an older person who may have different needs compared to younger adults. Please, can you tell us about some of the main types of conditions that you treat? Okay, so um, in geriatrics, we've got five, the big five that we call them, and these are diseases related to falls and fractures, so osteoporosis especially, but also reasons behind the falling. So unfortunately, older people fall more often than younger people. Then we also deal with your dementias and brain disorders a lot more. Um, we've got iatrogenesis. So that is where medication that's been prescribed for reasons that might not have been the correct medication as older people have got different needs compared to younger bodies, their, their physiology is completely different or changes a lot as one ages. Um, we also deal with problems like incontinence, both urinary and fecal, those are part of the big five. And um, then the fifth one is, um, so part of the brain disorders, delirium, and hospital admissions. But we also see that many of the common um, general conditions tend to increase with older age or risk factors for those. And those include um, like high blood pressure and diabetes and heart disease and strokes. As you age, your risk increases and age being a major risk factor for those conditions as well. So basically, in geriatrics, we deal with anything to do with an older person. And when you're talking about older person, what is the, the sort of cutoff limit or when does someone become geriatric? So that is a common question. And um, some people can be very sensitive about this. But technically, the um, World Health Organization defines older age as someone above the age of 65 although they are looking at increasing this age because, as you said, the population is aging and most 65-year-olds tend to be quite healthy still at their age. Um, in low-income countries, they actually have a lower cutoff value of 60 years of age being geriatric. And technically, if one has HIV, we also see them as geriatric when they're over the age of 50 because we know that HIV increases 
the aging process in the body. So by 15 years, and so technically see 50 year olds as being um, 65 year old in a certain way. However, I definitely don't see every 50 year old with um, HIV in my practice. And um, because especially with the advancement of new medications, obviously a lot has changed from that regard as well. So it's less of a problem nowadays. And do you find that other environmental factors come into play? So, for instance, retirement age and what that does on a person's um, physiology as well as their their state of mind? Yes, definitely. So um, sometimes people develop illnesses that forces them to retire. But in general, I don't see that retirement should be at a set age because we know that people, once they retire, they become less active um, often in their um, environment. They don't think as much. So actually, it increases your risk for depression and increases your risk for dementia because you're no longer stimulating your mind as often. Um, however, I don't always advise working up till the age of 80 or even older than that. I've got some patients that do that just because they feel they still have to care for their children. And that's not the right motivation to keep on working either. Um, but I do feel that retirement, we, we don't look at age as a number. We look at age in your personal capacity and um, how that is affecting your body instead of being ageist, if one can say that, um, looking at a number purely. Do you find that there are any aging disorders that women are at higher risk from? Yes, so certainly we the most common one that everyone knows about is that women are at a higher risk of osteoporosis. However, it doesn't mean that men can't get it. But unfortunately, being postmenopausal and then not no longer having that estrogen in our bodies increases the risk for osteoporosis. Men that develop osteoporosis are also common, and there is there are screening recommendations for men as well, but at a higher age and more because of secondary conditions that lead to that. But in the ladies, unfortunately, losing our S or losing a lot of our estrogen, not all of it necessarily, with menopause increases the risk. There are also some other conditions that increase with aging in women specifically, or where they found that the prevalence is higher in women, and that includes frailty as a condition. Um, so frailty syndrome is, is something where you just no longer have the reserves because of multitudes of factors that take place in the body. So when a small insult happens, you don't have the reserves to fight that. And women are at a high risk of frailty. Um, and the prevalence amongst them is higher. And also even dementia can be higher the risk in, in women, especially Alzheimer's disease. But um, we don't know whether that is more because women tend to grow older um, more related than related to specific genetic or um, hormonal factors or anything. And also, we don't know with, um, in the old days, women did not always have as a high education level as men. So, the, and a lower education level increases your risk for dementias and frailty. So that might have played a risk as well. And one would have to see as the population that has now got sometimes in some places, equal opportunities, whether this prevalence still remains the same. 
So again, there's that link of environmental factors which are, are influencing and yeah. that these events can happen quite a, let's say, a, an earlier stage uh, and then there's repercussions later on. So given osteoporosis, frailty and dementia as being the sort of like the, the big three for, for women, what can we do now before we hit geriatric age to sort of either delay the onset of these conditions or, or prevent them? So um, there's a lot that one can actually do now. And the, the risk factors for dementia start developing dur during early adulthood. So by staying physically active, that's my major one recommendation, is physical activity. Education is very important, and it doesn't mean that it has to be a university degree. That's not necessarily education, but um, stimulating your mind, reading um, other cognitively stimulating activities. It's, as I said, doesn't have to be something that's tested with an exam, but that is incredibly important. And then as you get um, more middle-aged, hearing loss is an important risk factor for dementia. And um, the, the hearing loss actually causes brain changes. And then as you get older, it also withholds you from being actively involved in society and um, that social interaction, which increases the risk for dementia. Then, unfortunately, one of the big risk factors that especially younger ladies um, and men tend to do um, is overindulging in alcohol and smoking and all those bad habits. And those are it's uh, especially very bad for the brain. Um, alcohol has been has many negative connotations, but the one that I see most of the time is um, dementia related to alcohol abuse. Gosh, all of these forebodings to uh, take cognizance of that we we have one life, we've got one body, and we really shouldn't be abusing it. No, exactly. You shouldn't abuse it, but it doesn't mean you don't have to enjoy life either. So um doesn't mean that all alcohol should be banned, but moderation, that's that's always the important thing. When we were chatting offline, I, I mentioned to you that you're the, the first person on the show that we've had who specializes in geriatrics. Why did you decide to go into this field and this discipline? So... Um, as a child, I knew I wanted to become a doctor when I did a special project in primary school and I made a little heart that um, could pump blood and I learned all about all the ways, directions that the heart is pumping blood and I thought, sure, the human body is extremely interesting and I wanted to do more in that. So I went into medical school and in medical school we had a professor that um, gave a talk about falls in the elderly and gave a lot of geriatric lectures. And I thought, sure, this is, I, I quite like them. My grandmother was still alive at the time. And I knew that I had a special um, knack for, for getting along with older people. Please don't give me teenagers. I'd, I'd rather deal with older people. And I've, I've been blessed with patience for them. And so when I finally found out that geriatrics was an option for for a physician to become a geriatrician, I said, well, I know that's my calling and that's what I want to do. That's my passion in life. And um, I've never regretted my choice for becoming a geriatrician. 
It's very fulfilling. And it's a holistic. You, you see the patient as a whole. You don't just treat a physical organ disease and no disrespect to other physicians, obviously, where they all have a role, a very important role to play. But being able to be there for the patient, guiding them through what each specialist tells them about each organ and putting it all together is a very important thing. And unfortunately, in geriatrics, my patients are closer to the end of their life than to the beginning. And a lot of my patients tend to pass away. And it's not, for me, it's not about, you know, how much longer I can keep them alive, but what quality of life they can have until the day that they do eventually pass away. And that that is also very important for why I enjoy my job. It really is a, a different perspective. And honestly, as I was researching this, it did bring in a, a reality check that I potentially have got more runway behind me than I have <laughs> ahead of me. And that we are changing, we are evolving, and this is sort of an inevitability of, of life. Yes, unfortunately, it's the circle of life, as I was telling a patient today, Today, we're talking to Dr. Suzanne Kotzer, who is a specialist geriatrician and specialist physician. You're listening to Womanity, Woman in Unity. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. Dr. Kutzer, one of the most challenging components of gender equality principles is about achieving work-life balance. And you work in incredible work in an incredibly demanding field. Uh, lots and lots of hours behind you from a study perspective. As a successful woman who's worked hard to build your career, what's your perspective on this? So, to me, a work-life balance is extremely important. Um, I, you might have heard this many times before, but you cannot pour for a, an empty cup. And I feel that in my job as well, it's extremely emotionally taxing to take care of, of the often difficult older people and the families that are going through immense life changes. And it can be an emotionally overwhelming time for them to be able to keep your own cool and be able to guide them through that process. You have to be, be have something to um, just relax. Um, in your own spare time and to find that balance, I feel is extremely important. So I've, I've got a lot of hobbies that I like, love to do that completely takes my mind off work because I, so I like ballet, but I'm definitely nowhere close to professional. But just to be able to stand on one leg you, and listen to the music and move in time to the music, you can't start thinking of someone else's problems at that time. You have to just focus on your breathing and um, posture. You can't focus on all the other stresses, and that helps to maintain that life, a work-life balance. Um, I feel it's extremely important. And it is part of the the arts, the the creativity, and a completely different stimulation. It's such a beautiful dance form. Exactly. And yeah, as I say, the music and the, just the whole, the whole concept. But another reason that I also believe work-life balance is so important, as I said earlier, I advocate all my patients to do exercise and be physically active and to be socially active. And I feel that one cannot tell them what to do if you don't set an example yourself. And so I, I strongly believe that by setting an example, 
Um, it's also important for my patients if they can see, and especially in today's environment where everyone is so focused on career-driven and they often forget about themselves. And a lot of doctors suffer from burnout and a lot of other professionals as well suffer from burnout. And to, then you're no longer a help to anyone. And that, that is what um, also motivates me to try and keep that balance as much as possible. And it goes back to what you said earlier, you can't pour from an empty cup. Exactly, yes. I'd like to turn now towards education. I mean, it was one of the factors that you'd highlighted as well as being a, an aspect that, that helps preventing the onset of some of the dementia-related ailments that women could be more predisposed to as they age. You earned your medical degree at the University of Free State. You did your internship at Potchefstroom Hospital, your community service year at Chris Hani Baragwanath Academic Hospital, and you're actively involved in training other doctors and healthcare providers about the needs of people who are older. It seems to me that both personal growth and developing others is really part of your agenda. Yes, definitely. So, so personal growth um, in the medical field is extremely important. One, the the uh, the field changes day by day. Um, just in recent. Uh, recent months, there have been headlines about a new Alzheimer's drug potentially being available, and um, you, you've got to stay abreast of what is what is available, what is applicable to your patients, because not everything that can um, that sounds wonderful is necessarily as true as it sounds. And so, to be able to distinguish between those things, and I love learning, so I, I love going to conferences and just refreshing some things that I might have forgotten or aspects that I don't work with all the time and just learning about those things, as well as um, emotional learning that you get from collaborating with colleagues. So we have a journal club um, once a week and we get to just talk to each other about complicated cases and learn how to manage those maybe and just get other people's inputs in those cases. But then I believe that you have, have to share what you've learned. And unfortunately, because geriatrics is such a small field and not very well known in the community at all, and there just aren't enough geriatricians in the country or actually in the world to actually see all the older people, we've got to spread that knowledge to other um, medical professionals and to allow them to be able to offer the best for older people that they can. A lot of medical schools don't have geriatrics training at all. So we, um, my one colleague started a, a class for people training in physicians um, just before their exams to be able to learn that little bit about geriatrics extra as well. We've got a diploma course um, for, for general practitioners or other doctors that want to um, become a little bit more um, knowledgeable in the care of the elderly. And um, we also, so I've also started a support group for families of um, patients with care, um, with, yeah, for patients with dementia, because the, it's not just the medical profession that needs ed, extra care, um, education, it's the, the community as law, at large that needs extra education. What are these illnesses? In South Africa, in the rural areas, 
a lot of times some of the older ladies that are diagnosed that actually have Alzheimer's, people believe that they are bewitched and they just get disregarded and thrown out of the community, whereas more education might actually help for understanding and inclusion and better health and quality of life for everyone. Those are really interesting developments, and it goes towards what you were saying about this holistic approach. And the reality is that if a patient is suffering from Alzheimer's, that it impacts incredibly on family. And they are caregivers, but they're also requiring emotional support of dealing with the condition that the person that they love and care about is transforming or or doesn't recognize them. So it is a, a really important development that you are, are undertaking there. I, I also feel it's important to spread the message as far as I can. What are some of your views about lifelong learning and how important has education been in your career or even in your, your, your thinking to become a doctor? So I believe it's extremely important. Yeah. I, you, as a, I grew up in quite a, a normal community, if I can call it that. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't unheard of to want to become a doctor or something like that. But I met someone the other day who, out of nowhere, just said they want to be a dentist. But I, it's so, it's important that people know exactly what goes into that job and what what amount of training before you get um, elected to go to university or be accepted into university. So then, um, you know, there's there's some knowledge needed there. You need to um, do extra training. Academic knowledge isn't the only thing. You have to be well-balanced, actually, to be accepted into medical school um, because it's such a draining, emotionally draining profession in a lot of cases. Um, But also then during all my training and years of studying, endurance is extremely important. And there's often times that you feel, oh, I really just don't want to do that. And I know that um, you you just have to get through every rotation that I went through in um, as a special training for a specialist physician. The first month, I'm like, sure, I don't know if this is really for me. But then persevering through that and then realizing by the end of that um rotation, I I think, oh, I want to become that kind of specialist, or I want to become that kind of specialist, because you just, by learning more about it, you learn how how much pleasure it can, or not pleasure, but yeah, how nice it it can be, and how fulfilling it can be, and the more knowledge you have, the better you can help other people, so. Do you think that that's also a case of taking you out of your comfort zone and pushing you into a new space that you're forced to develop? Yes, definitely. So in my internship, um, there used to there wasn't really a lot of senior doctors, so you were forced to make a decision, even though it might not always have been the right decision. But you you learn as you progress, and unfortunately. You know, there are some, there is help available so that you don't always have uh, necessarily serious mistakes. But as long as you can learn from your mistakes, you progress so well and you learn to build a bit of confidence, which helps you make decisions going along further. And you can, as I said, learn from your mistakes. And that is all part of the education process as well. Um, 
And often I find we learn more from our mistakes than our successes. Exactly, definitely. Womanity, Women in Unity is really all about celebrating women's achievements, uh, whether it's about their struggle for liberation or improving on human rights or opportunities into the workforce or, unfortunately, overcoming issues like gender-based violence. Can you share with us some of the obstacles that you've encountered as a woman building your career and how you overcame them? So... um... This yeah, it might not sound so women empowering, but one of the, the complications that I had, especially during my time at Baraguana and specializing in things, to have to drive to a hospital that's in a bit of a rural area and it's, a, it's not that safe a road to drive and then having to go there in the middle of the night. I don't think my male counterparts had the same concerns or their families had the same concerns. I know of, of um, other doctors who actually their dads or their boyfriends went with them and sat in the car whilst they were doing their work just because safety, physical safety, is not uh, such a, um, a good thing always. It's a real impediment of, that we have yes. to think about and, and a concern. I mean, you're going out doing your job and are you safe? Exactly. And obviously, bad things can happen to men as well, So, but it's more, more dangerous as a woman. So we spoke about physical safety as, as being a concern that you had whilst you were doing your internship. In your opinion, what areas do you think we need to build on the most to benefit women optimally in the future? So in my field, um, I think women are much more empowered than maybe 50 or more than that years ago. Uh, those times, women weren't often to be, uh, it wasn't often for a woman to become a physician or a doctor. But I think really life has changed, thankfully, in that regards. And we see more women in previously male dominated specialities as well. So I feel that that is no longer the major issue. But I do feel that as women, Unfortunately, we can't always do the same physical things as men. We just don't have that physical strength. But as women, we've got a lot of times, and this is generalized, but more empathy and um, caring nature um, towards our patients than necessarily the men have. And I don't know if this is more an old-fashioned thing, but some of my patients uh, or, or um, members of the support group, they the men are often the ones to complain. They say they don't know how to do this caring job, whereas the women tend to find that sometimes a little bit more easy. It's not always easy, but it's, we've got that empathy often built in, and that helps a lot. Um, but in my field, I really can't say that I feel less empowered than the men in my field. Um, specifically. In one of the conversations I recall, in fact, the discipline she was specializing in was oncology. And she said that she found um, that during her internship, that it was very much of a kind of like a masculine approach, that everything was about um, functional, uh, driving forwards, what are the outcomes, what are this? 
And then she said she went through a, a period where she wasn't embracing her femininity. And as soon as she allowed that to happen, she said her perspective completely changed. She uh, had more empathy. Um, she was more nurturing. And she said that that also had a positive effect on the men in her network and it changed their approach too. Uh, and it gave patients more care in a way. I, I can completely understand where she's coming from. You can see that being a very good thing as well. Yes. Today, we're talking to Dr. Suzanne Kotzer, who is a specialist geriatrician and specialist physician. You're listening to Womanity, Woman in Unity. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. One of the questions that I want to ask you, and this is something that I ask all my guests on the show, because it's a bit of a your recipe on, on what you've done and how you've managed to get to where you are. And that's about the factors of success. Some people will speak about values, uh, a particular person in their life, um, perseverance, faith. In your view, what would you say have been some of the factors that have contributed to your success? So, um, first of all, my faith plays a big role. Um, it gives me, helps me with that endurance and perseverance that we spoke about earlier that I believe is important for the success um, to not give up and just decide to stay where I am, to, to aim for more and aim for better um, care of my patients. And um, so that is that is one of the things. But then also having had excellent role models um, really played a role in my life. So my mom is one of my biggest women role models in life. She she has always embodied this person of being a very caring person, and not especially for family and but also friends. Um, and even just friends of friends, you know, acquaintances almost, not people that are especially close to us, but she always cares for them and worries about them and wants to make sure that they've got the best they can have as well. And that is despite having personal challenges of her own with chronic pain and other problems and struggles in life that most of us have. But despite all of the challenges, She's always embodied that caring um, personality and that that really sets an example for me to something to aspire to, that um, no matter what's happening in your personal life, you must always show the love to other people as well. Um, so that's important for me. She sounds like a special person. She is. <laughs> Tell us about some of the moments in your life growing up which had a significant impact on you? Well, um, sure. There's, <laughs> my life has been exciting, but it's, it's not, not uh, no books or movies will be made about it. But I've just, I've met so many incredible people throughout my life. As a child, learning piano, it was an amazing lady and um, as I said, my parents, both of them, have brought extra views to life and, um, and actively always encouraged me to not just focus on one thing, but to make sure that you've got that balance in, and involving nature in, in um, 
yeah, in, in my lifestyle and everything as well. My grandparents, um, we always had a very close-knit family and with cousins and everyone. And I just, yeah, so as I say, there's not one particular event or anything that set my life in motion or changed anything, but it's been good and bad things happening throughout that, that really shaped life. It also sounds as though you grew up in an environment where it really is the sky is the limit. You can do anything and that you were encouraged to pursue different passions. Exactly. Yes, definitely. My, my parents never said, no, you can't do that. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's always been with a touch of reality, of course, they didn't. You know, they weren't encouraging me to become a prima ballerina <laughs> because they knew the limitations in life, but uh, in my life specifically. But um, it's it's they they've always encouraged me to use the talents that I've got as well and to um, use my um, passion and all the people that I've met throughout life, growing up and as an adult, has always taken part in that as well. Hmm. Confidence, self-esteem, critically important. Yes. Now, lastly, as we close out our conversation, please, can you share a few words of motivation or inspiration with girls and women who are listening to us on the continent? Okay, so um, my one um, piece of advice that I've actually got is to be kind to one another. I see so many people that are so cruel to one another, but we don't know what the other person is going through. And it's really important for me to, to put yourself in that person's shoes and just, just be kind to one another. But my other piece of motivation is also to not to take your body and your health for granted when you're young, but to look after your body because that's the only one you're going to get. And But the good news is also when you're older, it's never too late to start looking after your body. And um, you can start developing healthy habits even when you're a geriatric patient or geriatric person. Um, and your future self will always thank you. So there's always something that you can do for yourself. That's a wonderful message. And I mean, one of my favorite authors, just because I think he's so quirky, is, is Mark Twain. And one of the things he said, I think, was, Age is an issue of mind over matter. If you don't mind, it doesn't matter. Exactly. I love that quote as well. So thank you so much for, for joining us today. It's been a pleasure to host you. Thank you very much. It was lovely to be here. And thank you for the opportunity again. You have been listening to Womanity, Woman and Unity. And we have been talking to Dr. Suzanne Kutzer, who is a specialist geriatrician and specialist physician.